Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll be preaching today on the gospel reading that we heard, Luke 15, 1 to 11. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we hear your word to us today, fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us the joy of heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I begin today with a question. I wonder what makes you happy? What brings you joy? You can learn a lot about a person by asking that question. But an even more interesting question is this. What brings God joy? What brings God joy? There are a number of different ways you could answer that question from the scriptures, but this text would have to be one of the clearest. Because it speaks repeatedly of the joy of heaven, the joy of God, the joy of the angels. It's the joy in the finding of the lost. And this is a joy that God wants to share with you. So what is this joy all about? Let's look at it more closely today and we'll see a number of things about this heavenly joy. We'll see that it is at times a threatened joy. We'll see also that it is a repentant joy. We'll see that it's something of a disproportionate joy and finally we'll see that it's a contagious joy. So first, this is a threatened joy. What do I mean by that? It's something of the nature of joy that it can be precarious, isn't it? We tend to have joy at moments in life, but it's hard to hold on to it, slips through our fingers. Now, we're talking about the joy of God here, though, so surely that is not threatened, but it is our sharing of that joy that can be threatened. You hear about this in the first couple of verses, where you see joy's opposite. You see the grumbling of the Pharisees and scribes. We read this. The tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. There's the threat to the heavenly joy. So why? Why the grumbling? Why the unhappiness about Jesus welcoming these people? Well, one possibility is that the scribes and Pharisees are worried that as Jesus eats with these tax collectors who, in modern terms, maybe we could call the white-collar criminals and the sinners who, in modern terms, maybe we could call the blue-collar criminals, as Jesus welcomes them and eats with them, it seems as if maybe he's approving of what they are known to be involved in, which is, for example, basically stealing. That's the tax collectors. That's their big problem among the people. Is Jesus approving of this? Well, Jesus is going to address that concern. But as the rest of this chapter unfolds, 
particularly with the parable of the prodigal son, which comes after this, we're pointed actually to something deeper underneath their grumbling, which is that old problem of spiritual pride and self-righteousness. Remember at the end of the prodigal son story, where the elder brother is left outside the celebration. There's that threat to the joy again. He's left outside and he wants to plead with his father the good things he has done as the reason he should be in the father's good books compared to his reckless little brother. Self-righteousness takes many forms. But one of them that we find here is this attitude which wants to know it is right with God by knowing who is definitely not right with him and knowing that at least we are not one of them. This chapter seems to suggest this is at the heart of the grumbling of the scribes and Pharisees. And so these parables are implicit warnings to that attitude. To us, insofar as we are tempted toward that way of thinking, that form of self-righteousness, it is a call to repentance when we fall into that, and it is a warning not to risk losing the joy of fellowship with God. So this is a threatened joy. Next, notice though that it is a repentant joy. Jesus says... Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then he says it again to make sure we don't miss it. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's that word again. This joy that God wants to share with us is connected to repentance. It is connected to turning away from sin and turning to God. This is the point at which Jesus addresses that first concern we mentioned about the scribes and the Pharisees. That concern they have that perhaps Jesus is approving of sin. As Jesus applies his parables, he makes clear he's not doing that because he says it's about repentance. In other words, Jesus is not welcoming tax collectors and sinners and saying, hey guys, it's all good. You are okay just as you are. Keep on fleecing your fellow Israelites by overcharging the taxes on them. Keep on living in that openly sinful lifestyle. Forget that stuff about the Ten Commandments that God taught us. Jesus is saying nothing of the sort. That maybe is what people were concerned Jesus was saying, but he's doing nothing of the sort because he says that in his welcoming, his receiving of these tax collectors and sinners, it's about repentance. It's about a turning away from sin to God. It's about a change in life. Jesus never waters down God's law. What he does want to do 
is to share the joy that exists when people who have been crushed by their failure to keep that law return home to the mercy of God. And so this joy is a repentant joy. But there's another thing to notice about this repentance here, lest we go down the wrong track of thinking that repentance is all about human action. Because notice in these parables that the power for repentance comes from God. Think about the parables, the lost sheep and the lost coin. What is the picture there of repentance? The lost sheep does not make its own way back to the shepherd. The lost coin certainly does not make its way back to the woman. In other words, the image of repentance in these parables is basically being found. If you want a definition of repentance in these parables, it's being found by the one to whom you belong. That's a very different way of thinking about repentance from the way we normally do. It's almost like you get a human perspective and a heavenly perspective. So from the human point of view, what does repentance look like? Well, it looks like someone saying sorry for their sins, turning away from one path in life and seeking God, turning to God. It looks like human action, basically. But these parables show us that it's almost like from the point of view of heaven, here's what repentance looks like. It looks like a shepherd searching out a lost sheep and hoisting it on his shoulders and carrying it home. It looks like a woman searching out every nook and cranny in the house to find the lost coin and then rejoicing when she does. That's repentance in these parables. An act of God first and foremost. God changing our hearts. God turning us to himself And that's ultimately why this joy is a repentant joy. Next, did you notice how this is a, what I called, disproportionate joy? What do I mean by that? Well, from a human point of view, this seems to be over the top. You know, we in the church, we tend to spend a fair bit of time thinking about numbers, How many people were at church this week? How much money was on the offering plate? How many percentage points has belief in God in Australian society dropped? All these sorts of things. And there's a place for them. There's nothing wrong with statistics in themselves. But this teaching from Jesus, it would suggest to me that when we focus so much on these big picture trends and numbers we risk missing out on some of this heavenly joy. Because notice, the joy of heaven is over just one. Just one. One sheep out of 99, one coin out of 10, one sinner who repents. Sometimes great big things do happen like the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people baptized on just one day. But Jesus says here, don't forget that heaven erupts into a joyful celebration when just one 
lost soul is brought home to God. You know, when you're doing a puzzle, there is, in a sense, joy in every piece that you join together. But it's amazing, isn't it, how frustrating it can be if you're missing just one piece. That's the problem with buying puzzles at second-hand sales and that sort of thing. You never know. Just one lost piece can really ruin the joy of a puzzle. And when you find that one piece, if you find it, there is a greater joy, isn't there? The greater joy in it all fitting together, not because that one piece is somehow inherently more valuable than the rest, but because now the lost is found. Now it's all together. And God is something like that. He doesn't look at people who are spiritually lost and say the sort of thing that we are tempted to say. Oh, well, you can't win them all. You know, two out of three ain't bad. I've lost a few along the way, but at least there's plenty left. God's not like that, Jesus says. For God, every single lost soul is important and he actively seeks them out. Maybe that's even you today. Perhaps you've been a bit lost. And perhaps you could not imagine in this big wide world that you would be important to God, even you. Well, you are. He is seeking you. He wants to bring you home, to welcome you, and yes, even to rejoice in you. This is a disproportionate joy. Finally, it's a contagious joy. Did you hear this emphasis right through the text on community? When the shepherd comes home, what does he do? He calls together his friends and neighbours saying, Rejoice with me. And the woman does the same, calls together her friends and neighbours saying, Rejoice with me. This joy is to spread. It is contagious. This is something of the nature of joy. We all know the first thing we want to do when something good happens is tell others about it. Not only to share the joy, but to increase the joy, to complete the joy in actually sharing what has happened. Notice too that God has his community of joy. The angels, the saints. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What a mind-blowing verse that is. That every time a person repents and believes in Christ, there is joy in heaven. Every time a person is baptized, as little Matthew has been this morning, there is joy in heaven. Every time a person returns to God in the life of the church after years away, there is joy among the angels. And every time, like the thief on the cross, a person calls out to God for mercy on his or her deathbed, even then, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God. This very day, God is inviting you to share in his joy 
as he continues to find the lost ones and bring them home. So what brings God joy? It is the repentance of sinners. It is the finding of the lost. That brings God joy. It is a threatened joy for us at times. It's also a repentant joy. It's a disproportionate joy and it's a contagious joy. Insofar as we are tempted to that self-righteous grumbling like the Pharisees, let us repent and so catch the joy of heaven. This very day, Jesus welcomes you to eat and drink with him as he shares with you his body and his blood. And so right here this morning, may the joy of heaven spill over into your heart. God grant it to us for Jesus' sake. Amen.